Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have Michael. Michael, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Can you please tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Sure. I live in Roanoke, Virginia with my wife, Kelly, and our two sons. I'm currently... One year, about one year into starting Blue Ridge Christian Counseling, which is a, a biblical counseling center here in, in the Valley. Uh, we're, we're officially a ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America, but we're serving believers, faithful believers of all denominations, and uh, doing training ministry, strengthening the one another care in churches, and also doing counseling. Uh, that's the main project that's occupying most of our most of my time right now like i said we're about to come up on a one-year anniversary yeah how's it how's it going there at one year so far it's been great we're phil the reception's been really warm churches have sensed a need especially in some of the areas a little farther from roto we have a satellite office a little ways out some of the more rural areas uh, have, have been a bit underserved there have been fewer people providing counseling and so we've we feel we've uh, been able to try to meet a need that's awesome praise god can you tell us a little bit about your book after an affair pursuing restoration why you wrote it and how it's being received sure there, there was maybe maybe a set of months several years ago when I was working with a lot of people several men in particular who were trying to restore their marriages trying to kind of come back to the Lord after straying away through an affair and I found myself struggling to know what to offer them and try struggling to find resources that I felt were accessible and um, that I could feel confident in. And so I, I started just kind of writing notes down myself, and I ended up thinking, okay, I'll, I'm going to make a little workbook, and I'm just going to give it to people, and I'm not going to, there's no reason to ever publish this. It'll just be uh, something they can work on outside of the session, kind of help with the educational component. There are just certain insights that I felt most of the people I was working with needed to needed to get to at some point. And so kind of fast forward for me working on that for a while, uh, I ran into someone who uh, worked for a publisher and wanted to see that, wanted to see it come to print as part of the devotional series, which was actually really exciting because I was, I started started thinking mostly in terms of um, you know, how do I help a person restore their marriage, but making it a devotional made it decidedly more of a spiritually focused resource. Um, I'd certainly hoped that it would be spiritually grounded in what I was already doing and what I was already working on it, but this really gave it a much more of a much more of a depth. And so I was really excited about the project having that component. And I also found that it um that it really helped helped kind of thread the needle uh or I don't know, reach people where they were willing to be reached. What I've often found is that when again particularly I'm working with men, when they come clean and they, they're trying to try to patch things up. When I start to ask them, how did how did we end up here? How did how did this happen? They there's often a really simplistic understanding of what happened. It, and it's you know, it says the right words, but there's not a depth there. It's um I was straying from the Lord, 
I, I wasn't reading my Bible, you know, I wasn't doing well spiritually, and then this is, therefore, this is what happened. And so they say, now everything's going to be different. Now I'm having devotions. Now I'm going to church. Now I'm listening to sermons in the car. All good things, but I would try to persuade them that there was a little bit more that needed to happen. There needed to be a greater understanding of, of, of where they'd gone off course so they can understand how to prevent that in the future and how to grapple, how to start to speak to the impact has had on their spouse. I often met resistance as I would try to try to help um, do do something that I felt was more uh, that would be more of long term good. So that where, where I felt like I actually could meet people where they were was they were willing to they were willing to have devotions. And so I said, well, okay, let's let's have these devotions and let's grow more sensitive in what God would have you learn gain insight into in your own heart and also in the impact of the affair on the other person. And and how do people respond? How do people respond to that? It's it's um it's been a pretty good reception so far. I've, I've given it to a couple of people I'm working with in counseling, and they've they found it helpful. And I found a lot of pastors say that yeah, they love to keep a couple of them on hand to give to someone, especially for those first thirty sixty days after the disclosure. But they, they just there needs to be a lot of action quickly, and they, there needs to be an accessible resource to help guide that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what are some of the biggest challenges that both men and women who have have after a spouse has admitted to having an affair? So speaking more, uh, this is speaking more to the, the person who's been, uh, who's the victim of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that's an experience that is not primarily covered in the book, um, but is there's a profound need there too. I will say that often people in the church, they know what to do with the person who's coming clean. You know, because there's so many of the core nuances of the gospel that speak directly to people who are coming clean after a major sin. You know, the amazing grace. You know, I, I was once blind, and now I see. I, I was um, I was lost. Now I'm found. There, there's a clear clear direction. I've sinned. Okay, well now now we want to give you grace and want to help you find forgiveness. It's a little less obvious immediately if you carry that emphasis. What should be said and done for the person who's been who, who's the sufferer and the challenges are profound. Uh, some people experience it as uh, analogous to a major trauma. Uh, you know, th- there are, you know, we all know that when soldiers come back from war, you know, when a car backfires, they emotionally, they feel like they're right back on the battlefield. And some people experience their spouse committing adultery as something that is a lot like that. So, you know, walking by family pictures can be jarring and they feel, oh no, that was when I was being lied to. You know, that trip I was being on that vacation, I was being lied to. They, um, they hear things, you know, even just as simple, like, I love you. We're going to, things are going to be okay. Well, you said that to me. Well, you know, why you were cheating on me too. And so there's just, there are tremendous amounts of reminders that are just very painful to work through. Um, it's a very difficult experience to, to walk through and, um, it's just immense challenges, uh, both emotionally and also practically, because a lot of people aren't sure, you know, how do I know when the person's changed? How do, how do I know if this marriage is salvageable? Um, what do I do if I have kids in the picture? It's just a tremendous amounts of confusion, and um, it, it is a major life grief to walk through. How do you how do you begin to walk with somebody? You know, they're, you know, maybe a family member or a close friend or something like that. How would they walk with somebody that's going through an affair? So, again, the person, so the person who's actually in the affair? E- either one. I mean, the husband and the wife. How would, how would somebody just walk with them? I th- sure. So it's tough to be the person who walks with both of them. Well, maybe it's a separate yeah. person. So maybe there's yeah. one for the husband and for sure. one for the wife, let's say. Sure. 
So in this in this scenario, we're talking with talking about um, talking with the husband being the one who who's strayed, uh, and I often find that you know I see I see pastors and friends who are who do really good work um, in in this in this kind of scenario. It's um, there are many people who are highly defensive after having had an affair. Um, it, it's an incredibly it's an incredibly embarrassing thing to come clean about. It's, it's incredibly shameful, and so it's it's understandable why that defensiveness would arise. But I've often seen that friends, uh, good friends who are walking with a brother in this season, can can start to say, "Listen, I I know that you're feeling a lot of complicated things right now, but I, I don't know that it's going to be helpful for you to criticize your wife so much." You know, I know that there were systemic things happening. I know that there were hard things happening in the marriage, but I don't know that this is a profitable place for us to park. And I think friends can often, in more blunt ways than maybe a counselor would be able to, because the, the relationship's not always established as deeply. Friends sometimes have an easier time just saying, no, like, listen, I can't, we can't go this direction. And so that there's there's a healthy pushback to defensiveness or blame shifting. And then there's also just a, a hopefulness that, a friend can provide that you're not going to stay here. You know, God, God's not done with you. You know, of course, we have all these examples in Scripture of King David and others who who have fallen far. Uh, the Apostle Peter and the Lord restores them. In, in this scenario, uh, if the wife is needing someone to walk with, I think you're really going to need someone who has a lot of grace and patience and can can hear over and over some of the um, some of the griefs. Uh, intense suffering is going to usually feel nonsensical. Like, where did this come from? How did this end up being dumped into my life? You haven't yet processed it as a as something that the Lord could be involved in or ministering to you in. Often it's just the stark, immediately it's at least the stark realities of just that my whole picture of my life has been destroyed. And so often a friend who can walk with, in this case, a, you know, the woman who's, who's been cheated on, is often going to need to be offering a ministry of presence. Psalm 23, uh, when we see someone who's walking in a valley of shadow of death, and what the Lord provides is, you know, is an, an assurance. Don't be afraid, I'm, I'm with you in this darkness. A friend analogously is going to provide that, not try to just fix the darkness or force you to light, but to walk you patiently through that dark experience, knowing there's no way to rush through that. In time, okay, yes, there's going to be a way to start to say, where is God in all of this? Um, what, what, where, where, how will we get to the light together? Uh, but it's it's slow work. So we have to be patient and um, prayerful and just Mentally. really listening yes. and just really slow to. Do Do you think that we need to be slow to say much? Or I know you mentioned uh, just being there and and kind of maybe helping them out of the their mindset, their bad mindsets or whatever. But um, would you say that, that that's pretty much what you're what you're saying there? So I'm a little bit more directive, I think, with the person who's had the affair. And again, not every affair is the same and um, there's some there's significant differences. Um, but I, I find I have to be a little bit I have to do a little more guiding um, because the the sad reality is that you don't have an affair unless you've been pretty self oriented for some time. And so then when you come clean, not all of that self-orientation, not all of that self-centeredness goes away right away. And so sometimes even the months following, even though you've been on your knees before the Lord confessing, trying to move away from it, sometimes you're still very self-centered in how you're talking, how, how the person's talking. I do find that to be kind of a little bit more directive to guide the person um, who, who's, who's had the affair, where the, whereas the person who's been affected uh, by the affair often does need a safe place to just struggle and be frustrated and be confused and uh, at times be fighting for hope. Um, I find I don't, I'm a little, I'm slow to criticize people who are in very great suffering. It's not, 
something I'm eager to do. Not to say no one needs direction or guidance or help, but just, you know, people often say that, you know, Job's three friends did the best counseling the first seven days. Yeah, I think uh, what you said earlier about it being such a traumatic event, it just brings me, brought up like some, you know, like in my childhood was very difficult and, you know, um, not to equate that as the same, but just to say like I had a lot of deep challenges and pain in my childhood that I had to get help with, you know, and so um, same with my wife, her parents tragically passed away. And so we can empathize when you put it in those kind of terms. I think that somebody could really empathize with somebody that's going through that uh, experience and just from an emotional, like the perspective, you know, because they've gone oh, through traumatic yeah. things. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's second Corinthians one, right? You know, that even though my suffering and your suffering could be very different, you know, if you've been, if you've been through something hard and you know, you know, the grace that you were given, you know, you comfort, you could comfort me out of that affliction in, in whatever affliction I'm in. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a sense of, there's a sense that even if, yeah, that even if the person's issue is very different from ours, there's, there's something that God could have us to offer each other. Yeah. So uh, I've worked with men a lot and in, in a lot of different things, uh, areas, and I know that it's hard for them to apologize. I'm sure you know that as well. And uh, it's something that men struggle with. So why is it so important to learn to apologize and confess our sin well to others? Yeah, it's it's interesting that I hadn't framed it as a gender uh, difference, but I, I suspect that culturally there is a harder, there's a more, there there's something to cultural picture of masculinity that views failures and weaknesses as something to be, you know, strenuously resisted, right? And to not want to concede anything on. And apology certainly is that. It's a sense of weakness. It's a sense of admitting failure. Uh, the the reason I spend so much time on it in the book is, you know, for number one, you know, there's there's no restoration with the Lord apart from repentance, which is a little bit more profound than an apology, but it's not less than that. You know, the yeah, there's there's no there's no restoration of fellowship with the Lord apart from repentance. Our prayers are hindered. Our, you know, we we hide sin in our hearts. God is not God is not close to the one who hides and protects and guards sins. Um, in the context of a marriage, it's absolutely vital to be able to offer a real apology, which is not um, you know I would never have done this if you hadn't done that, or you know I for anything I might have done. To hurt you, please forgive me. You know, there's no, there are a lot of half apologies people give that that do more damage than good. Yeah. But learning to apologize is mostly learning to understand the impact that your actions have had on another person and to name them plainly without defense. Um, of course, there are extenuating circumstances. Of course, there are pressures and systemic problems in marriages always. But to be able to actually own the impact of your actions on another person is profoundly healing for the person who's been sinned against. Here's what I tell men. Um, one time, I i can't remember what exactly I was, I was preaching on in a men's retreat, but I said, I said, uh, one thing that I've learned is that you have to, what your wife wants to hear, and, and I said, go ask your wife this later uh, when you get home, but ask her, do you want me, do you want me, sweetheart, to apologize to you specifically? And what your Christian wife will always say to you, to, and to you, you guys can go listen to the, when you, you who are listening to this can ask your wife, do you want me to apologize to you specifically? And she will always say yes. And why? Because she wants you to know that you understand what you did was wrong and why you did it yes. and what you're going to do about it. Sure. So if I if I have a fight with my wife and I say something stupid, what she wants me to do, just using an example, which mm-hmm. I mean, we all know that it's a real sure. example too, okay? Yes. 
what she wants to hear is not just, okay, well, I'm sorry for such and such thing that I said, but, but why did you say it? Well, um, you know, we were, we were talking about something and, uh, such and such thing came out or, you know, such and such thing happened just using a generic example. I'm really sorry for saying what I did. The words that I used, the way that I said it was wrong. I'm sincerely sorry. Um, would you please forgive me? Um, God, the Lord is working on me in this area or something, something to that like effects, like specifically owning it, specifically apologizing for it, specifically saying this is where God's working on me. And, um, you know, the, the one thing that I would say is it takes a while for a wife to be respond to respond well to that. Like you have to, she has to learn to, like my wife had to learn to respond to that well. So we had to work through that. I mean, these aren't things, these are long-term things that um, take time. And um, I'm not saying like, this is like a, this isn't like a one-time band-aid kind of thing. This is like, this is like a long-term like marriage health thing that'll not just for yeah. yeah, yeah. What you're saying is absolutely vital because what what often happens is person builds toward that climactic apology and they feel like okay, I can clean now. Don't bring it up again, right? Now, don't you know? I apologize. What do you? What more do you want? The reality is in this kind of situation. Um, you know, I appreciate how you said it was a process. That it's you offer that. It, it is important to offer that initial apology the best you can. Right? You just apologize yeah. for what you know and what you're aware of. But then it's kind of your job over time to understand more about it so that you can apologize more effectively and own it. More effectively, this is one of those times where the kind of the forgive, forget, don't for, don't bring it up again isn't really all that helpful. Yeah. Um, because the reality is, this, this, grief, this is a major grief, this is a major offense, and um, the reality the reality is for the person moving back to the Lord, returning from the affair over those next few months, there's going to be a lot of new insight and awareness, and then over years, there's going to be more insight and awareness. And so, I think it's entirely appropriate for the issue to be brought up again for greater healing, yeah. um, not against the person, but but for the relationship. I'm so, you know, I'm sorry, this is still very hard for me, uh, you know, to say, for example, uh, or the person confessing says, you know, when I was, I used to say this kind of stuff to you after the affair, and I, and I, um, I realized now that it was still the mindset of the affair talking. It was still me in that old mindset. And uh, I, I, I never realized that what pressure I put on you when you had to be with the kids while we were separated. I never understood. I never, now I get it more. You know, these things are healing in an ongoing way. The more insight you have, the more you can speak honestly. And I think there are a lot of people, a lot of people say, well, you know, we've, we've had so much healing. Things are so much better now. I don't want to bring it up again and, and upset my spouse by bringing it up again. And I often find that quite the opposite is the case, that when the spouse who's, who's done the offense brings it up again, they're only accessing the thing that the other spouse has to live with all the time. And they're not putting, they're not typically putting it in their minds and making life worse. They're actually um, they're living in reality with their spouse. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can see that happening with a guy that, I mean, even with um, guys that struggle with pornography, for example or something like that you know they often want to hide their hide their sin and then they tell their wife and you know their their wife's devastated and um they have to work through that so um so we've talked a lot about that but um and that and those are those are very important things um how how can those who've had an affair begin to build their testimony again 
You mean like reputation? Yeah, reputation. Yeah. Um, so the testimony in this way is is a bit of a um, it's a complex issue um, because it, you know right where you know good names rather to be chosen than great riches right in Proverbs there there's something to respectability being gained but you not learning not to cling to that as you as you um you know, as you seek restoration is going to be important clinging to the reputation it's not going to be all that helpful um, now that I'm talking though I think that you're probably referring to the chapter title that says building a testimony which is actually writing out kind of more of a story of grace is that what you're referring to yeah 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 but you can go you're, the way that you're going yeah. with it is good too yeah yes uh, so I have complex feelings about the idea of a testimony or keeping your testimony keeping your reputation because in many contexts that I grew up in it was uh, something that actually prevented people from seeking help and and all led to a lot of covering over of sins in unhelpful ways yeah uh, so I don't have a whole lot of sympathy with the idea of really working hard to make sure your reputation's better because I think that in this case it's you, know, you set off a bomb in your house and making the house look like there's nothing wrong is not that great of an idea um, yeah certainly rebuild the house right but uh, don't try to pretend that things wrong with it I think we've talked about a lot of that too repenting of yeah. sin being honest uh, being accountable um, having people walk alongside of you mm-hmm. and so I think I think that covers. Yes. We'll just say that covers that. Yes. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And, and I agree with you. It definitely that that definitely can um, be used. That language can be used to kind of um, yes, you know, just kind of excuse your right. life or whatever. So we're we'll, moving on to the next question. What are what are some essential qualities and habits for the long haul for those who have had an affair? I would say humility, kindness, and persistent honesty and I'll mostly focus on first and the third so humility there's a lot of sense there can be a lot of pressure to kind of rebuild your sense of pride and your sense of dignity as a person because you feel like it was all destroyed by the affair um, so it's essential that we not do that by by bringing another person down or settling scores all things that some people can be particularly tempted to do in the wake of an affair over the long haul honesty is perhaps the single greatest um, need because I think many people who have had an affair are surprised to find out that what their spouse is most grieved by is not what was not what happened sexually but the deception that's the single that's the thing that many spouses will say i cannot live with and i cannot live with deception i can i can forgive everything else um or i can i can handle even you struggling and being tempted sexually but i i I need you to be honest with me and i've heard that so many times that and i think it makes sense you know you have to know what you're working with and if you don't know what you're dealing with it's very hard to rebuild the marriage so um that's i think uh, there's 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 hardly anything i could think of that's more important for the long haul than yeah that's really good um so we have lots of pastors and ministry leaders who listen to this podcast and since we're talking about biblical counseling this month um how can we help them um how come how can uh, they help they themselves walk with and equip church members to walk with those who've had an affair so how would pastors equip their members to do this you know I, even for pastors to think those questions is really encouraging for me so my guess is that even if they're asked simply asking that question how can i help my people be ready for something like this when it happens you'd be a few steps ahead of the game just because this is a thing that surprises us you know you, it's very common for you know it's very common to be very shocked by the people who who fall into an affair because and the reason for it is, is that honestly that we're all vulnerable there's no one of us who is by virtue of who 
who we are perfectly safe from this kind of sin. So it, it lends toward it being something that can, it feels like it can sneak up on us. Um, but I think cultivating, cultivating the kind of environment in the church where you can talk about struggle, you can talk about challenges in marriages, uh, that there are people who are raised up, discipled, to walk with others who are suffering. That's going to that's gonna cover a lot. Um, I think there are different ways to do this. Uh, you can I would start with the leadership training, the small group leader training, uh, the, you know, or essentially who are, who are your people who are involved, kind of looking at the people who are primary your primary ministers in the church and start thinking about their training from a standpoint of care. So how can be how can I equip these specific people who the Lord has put under my guidance as leaders? How can I equip them to walk with those who are suffering? That's the way I would start. Um, because often not handling suffering well is one of the things that leads to sexual sin. So I think if you start there, um, if you start there, you're probably going to going to support people in ways that um, they end up looking in the wrong places for later. Mm, that's well said. So Michael, there's a lot that we haven't talked about about this book and uh, just about this topic in general. Um, but uh, just as we wrap it up, can you give us a few takeaways that you have, or maybe more than a few, if you'd like? Sure. Yeah, I think um, adultery is an issue that, that I think it, it usually feels like the death of a, of a marriage. It feels like everything's been lost at that point. It, it, we all grieve it. We all feel it heavy, real, in, a, in a very heavy way when people who are in our friend network or family uh, fall in this way. Uh, but the the silver lining is that in Christ, the things that die can be resurrected. And and the um, there there's one author who says that infidelity is the disorder that can lead to a new order. And there are times when an affair, emotional affair, physical affair, when a person turns away from it, it, it can lead to a profound awareness of, oh my goodness, where did we go wrong? Where did I go wrong? And it can, it's never something that you would ever wish on your worst enemy, uh, but there are ways that it can be a, a huge wake up call. And, you know, it's, it's like a broken bone. It, when it, when it sets again, it can, it can be stronger. You never want to break a bone, but, and then, you know, every time it rains or is cold again, you're going to feel it. So it's not, it's, there, there are lasting effects, um, but we do serve a God who can redeem and who saves to the uttermost. So we, we walk a fine line because we want to create a place where we, a place in the church where we are people who believe in miracles and we have this immense hope. But at the same time, we want to be able to walk with people who are suffering and not force the narrative of restoration on the on the person whose, wife, whose spouse, for example, is con- continuing to persist in sin and it does not look like reconciliation is happening happening the, the victim in that situation has not failed and they don't have a subpar narrative in a sense they don't have a subpar testimony before the lord um, so we as the church have to walk a very fine line right we we hold out immense hope of the gospel and we also walk with people through things that are very broken and we don't know if this side of heaven will see the full restoration yeah that's uh really well said well really well said well michael um this has been a very um how do you say this uh interesting conversation can't use the word it's been in some ways it's been good though because um i think that it's it's helpful to to understand as you've talked about it you know walking with people in honesty i think that just that just gives people a warning about the seriousness of indwelling sin and uh the yes. need to be you know open and accountable and real about what what you're going through i think that's good but I think also you provide some a lot of help for for people mm-hmm. that are that know people that have had this an affair or mm-hmm. maybe they're listening and they're they're going through this right now. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate the thoughtful answers that you've given, brother. Well, thanks for the chance to talk. Yeah, appreciate it. You're welcome. 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Servants of Grace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.